hey, we're going to pause a little bit our normal what Pastor Eric and the other pastors have been doing and going through Luke chapter 12. But just remember where we were last week and maybe to remind us of where we're um, headed this week. Uh, last week, Pastor Eric took us through Luke 12, 13 to 21. And that was the parable, if you remember, about the rich man and his barns. And there was some discussion, at least, or disagreement between two brothers about their inheritance and one not giving one what they needed. And they came to Jesus and he talked to them about covetousness. And the one man in particular had barns that were too small for the awesome harvest he'd just come under, and he was planning on tearing down those barns and building a bigger barn so that he could store it. But remember what he didn't know? That that very night that his soul was required of him by God. And we were reminded of a couple things, that this man failed to acknowledge God. He failed to live in light of eternity. He was short-sighted. He was focused on the here and now in the material world. As I sat and heard Pastor Eric preach that last week and thought about what I was preparing for this week under the kindness of God, I just saw a couple of things. One, if that's not how we should live, the kind of question is, how should we live? How should we live in light of God's purposes and plans for our life? And what does it look like then to live with purpose and eternity? What's the mission of God and how can we join it? And you'll hear today some of my influence as a missions professor at Cedarville and some of my missions experience, but I'll give you an example to get us started, and then we'll dive into Genesis 1 here. One of the things I loved about Zambia was going into very rural villages um, many times where not a lot of cars passed, and I had an awesome truck. I, I used to joke with the kids, like, I got paid to go four-wheel mudding. Um, a big truck with a snorkel, high-lift jack, grass net over the front, because I have clogged my radiator with grass seed before, and just the joy. So if you think of Pastor Eric and what he does on a weekly basis, he's driving the mud truck, as we all enjoy, kind of going with him through the village in a particular passage. One of the other joys I got to do is when the Mission Aviation Fellowship pilot landed on the dirt strip in the little village outside of where we lived, and they were able to take me up in that plane to fly to the capital. And I got to fly over a lot of those villages where I had worked for a number of years and over the lake where we had been and kind of got to see from a level a little bit higher up what's going on in the landscape. Now, both of those, um, mud driver and the pilot, are important, not trying to compare. But what I want us to do today is look at a few more scripture from a little bit higher level up as we kind of hop, skip, and jump to look at what is God doing on mission? How can we join him? The other place we went after that was South Asia. And the Bengali people of South Asia, we came to love. They invite you into their home, big meals. The normal thing in a Bengali home is if you are a guest, you are literally treated like a god, and your plate will be filled over and over again. So at the end of the meal, they have fed you so much in so many courses, you literally have to block your plate with your hands so they won't put anything else on. If I see you near the end of the message covering your Bibles with your hands, I'll know it is time to land that plane, and we will depart. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. First thing I want you to see as I, I'm about to read verse 26 is, God created us as image bearers to fill the earth with his glory. Right? Simple statement. should be common to all of us. God created us as image bearers to fill the earth with his glory. This is the story of creation in Genesis 1. I'll read from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As we look at God's word here in Genesis 1 and 2, this is before the fall, this is before sin, God was on a mission before sin ever entered the world. You say, what's that mission? God's mission was for his image bearers to fill the earth, to scatter, to multiply, to exercise dominion, and as those specially created by God. All the others with his word, and he fashioned man, and he breathed into him the very breath of life. God's relationship with us, humankind, is special, and that we are agents and sent ones of God's mission. Before God sent the church, God sent Adam and Eve and all of their descendants Fill the earth with my glory. Genesis 3 comes, though, and it's a disaster, isn't it? There in the garden, Satan enters as the form of a serpent, and he tempts them. And what does he do? One of the first things he says is, did God really say? It's a common strategy that he uses in your life. You should recognize it in mine as well, to undermine that God has actually spoken, that it's truly his word, that we can know what God has said or what God wants. Now, when Eve kind of clarified that for him, what was the next strategy? It was to say, actually, if you eat of that tree, God knows that you'll actually be like him. You'll be wise. You'll know good and evil. The second strategy of Satan is to say, if God has spoken, then what he's spoken is not actually best for you. Do you just recognize that right off in your own life? I recognize it in my mind. I hope I'm not the only one. So chapter 3, Adam and Eve have kids. One kills the other. It doesn't get any better from there, right? It keeps getting worse and worse and worse until the days of Noah as God looks at the humans he's created. They're not at all doing what he wants to do in spreading his glory. Instead, they have rebellious hearts, and God says, I'm going to send a flood. And I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. And as Noah and his family get out of the flood, look at what he says to them. It's basically the same thing he says to Adam and Eve. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 17. Stick with me as we look at a lot of scripture today, so keep your Bible handy. Genesis 8, 17, God says to Noah, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Those are really for animals. Now in 9, 1, so Genesis 9, 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Skip down to 9, 7. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply on it. Then we get this whole, um, Noah begins to do that through chapter 9. Chapter 10 is this table of nations, this group of nations that comes kind of from the do-over, from Noah and all his family as they grow. And at the end of chapter 10, verse 32, we get it one last time. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So if there's one word I want you to take away from this part, it's the word scatter. The scattering of God's image bearers to all over the world to fill the earth with God's glory is a common theme. In fact, I'm sure all of you, have you ever been hit by the glory hammer in the Bible? I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Have you ever noticed that over and over again, whenever God acts, it's for the sake of his name and for the purpose of his own glory. 
If you've not noticed that, start looking in your Bible and you will get hit by that glory hammer over and over and over and over again. Because really, that's what it's about. I'll whack you one time with it, if you don't mind. Turn to, you can laugh, it's okay, really. Isaiah chapter 48, look there. If I'm not clear, the glory hammer is God's desire for his glory to fill the earth. And we see it over and over in scripture. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 9. Isaiah 48, verse 9, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. Our last song, the words were very similar to that, that there's no one else for us. There's no other that's worthy of glory. God will not share his glory. Why? There's no one else that's worthy of worship. He's the one true God. There is no other God. Nothing exists, not one molecule, not one atom exists anywhere in the universe that God did not create. There's nothing that was preexisted. He is over all. He is sovereign over all. He is the only one that we can worship. You know, kings and rulers and governments do this today in a way. Pastor Nick pointed this out to me early in the week. That a government, what do they do? They print currency, whether it be coins or maybe if you take the paper money, which no one carries anymore, out of your wallet. And what's on the face of that? You'll find the face of the prime minister or the president or whoever the ruler is. In Zambia and India where we were, it was common to walk into a school or store, or anywhere else, and you would find the face or the image or the picture of whoever the ruler was. Well, we are God's image bearers, created in his image to spread the fame of his name. That's what it means to be a human. It's the purpose. So some initial questions before we move on. We're going to talk about Babel here in just a minute, but what does it look like for me, for you, for us, our church, to bring glory to God in our life? You say, well, it feels like Joshua traveling at about 30,000 feet right here and really fast. How do we bring glory to God's name? We're going to answer that question a little bit. What does it look like practically to make God's name be known? Well, if creation's purpose was to scatter us for God's glory, look there back to Genesis chapter 11. Would you flip back with me? We're familiar with the story. They wanted to build a big building. God confused their languages, and they kind of went everywhere because they couldn't get along and speak the same language. There's more to it than that. Let me give you a main point, and then we'll read the scripture. Babel was our, or humanity's, direct rebellion against God's mission. Right? If his mission was scattering image bearers so that he would be known, he always wanted to be known, Babel was a direct rebellion to spreading God's glory by refusing to be scattered. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its name in the heavens. And here's the problem right here. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Notice all that glory hammer. What was that about? God's name, God's glory, God's fame. 
he alone is worthy. The sin at Babel was men and women who wanted to receive some of that glory, a name for themselves. Does it not sound like what Lucifer did? Lucifer, who we know as Satan, the beautiful angel who saw God receiving all the worship and thought, I'm beautiful, I'm worthy, why don't I receive some of what God is receiving? And he was cast out of heaven. And here, it's not only a name for themselves, but they directly disobeyed God by not being dispersed. We don't want to go. We don't want to be spread out. Look what else happens is God judges them in verse 7. So I'm in Genesis eleven seven. Come, let's go down there, confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. Now you may think, is this arbitrary? Is this mean? You know, parents want the best, but I'll be honest, sometimes I've given some very arbitrary punishments. And so have you, so don't look at me like that. Kind of random, kind of we want our kids to know this, this is not what you should be doing. So, you know, sweep the floor, scrub the floor. It's not directly related to the rebellion, but it's just what we do. God's not like that. Why did he do this? Why did he confuse their language? Look at verse 8. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. We see that two times. So it wasn't random or punitive judgment. Think about this. There was a purposeful, missional reason for God's judgment. It was a kindness that by being split up and by going, they would do what God created them to do, and that was to make his name and fame known. God's judgment is ultimately for our good, for his glory. So chapter 3 to 11, you can just kind of put bookmarks in that, if you will, and just think chapter 3 to chapter 11 of the Bible is a wreck. It goes from Adam and Eve eating the garden to a son killing one another, and then we get what happens in the days of Noah, and then we get here in Babel, and it's a wreck. Until chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, is God's promise to one man, but it has a purpose for all of the nations. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. It says this, Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He goes on to explain this a little bit more in Genesis 15. But I want to give you three things, important things, that God promised to Abraham. The first thing that he tells him is that you will have children like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the seashore. And we all know the problem. He's old. His wife's old. They can't have children. That's a miracle that he would have children. Who would he have? He would have Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, all of Israel. The other thing he promised him was the promised land, a physical place for his descendants to grow up and live. You know, eventually after going to Egypt, they get to the promised land. So descendants, a land, but maybe what's most relevant for us in thinking of God's mission is the last part of verse 3. And all the families on earth shall be blessed. From creation itself and from this original covenant with Abraham and his family in Israel, God always has the nations in view. It was never just meant for one single man, one single family, one single race, one geographic region. By the way, that's how the rest of the world in the days of Canaan thought about the gods 
They had their geographic area. Even when we were in India, Calcutta had Kali in particular and Durga. You would go to other parts of India, you'll find this guy has Ganesh over here or different gods over in this geographic region. God is revealed in Scripture is saying, no, it's, it's all mine. There's nothing that's not under my purview. Think about this. Why did God choose Abraham in particular? A pop quiz here. Think in your head. Why did God choose Abraham? So just put a big red mark in your paper if you said anything like, because Abraham had faith, or because Abraham was this, or because Abraham was that. And not at all. That'd be the wrong answer. Why did God choose Abraham? It's merely out of his grace and love. Really, any reason is insufficient. He didn't look down at Abraham and say, this is a great guy. I need him on my team. Didn't go out recruiting, not giving him, what do they call these things in college football, NIL deals or whatever's going on? There's some coaches who got excited about that this week if you're following the SEC. God didn't do that. But instead, he said, I'm choosing him and I'm making this promises because I will fulfill my purposes. There's a couple of things I want you to think about. Our sin, thinking of Babel, has both personal and missional consequences. Your sin's not just about you. My sin is not just about me. We are participants in God's missions as believers. They have consequences. Good news, God uses broken people in his mission, and he's going to fulfill it. God will accomplish what he has promised. He promises, he fulfills. Abraham is a beautiful example of after he makes the promise, Abraham believes him. He obeys. He believes him again. I believe it's in Genesis 22 when he says, take your son, the son of promise, go sacrifice him. What does Abraham do? He doesn't even wait till the afternoon. He gets up early the next morning and he goes. He is a beautiful example of faith. So question for us maybe at this point, am I, are you, are we willing to go any, anywhere and do anything that God might ask? It's a great question, not only for young people over here, but from the oldest person in the room to the youngest person in the room, are you willing to surrender and say, God, wherever you would send me, I'll go. My life is a blank check. I'm giving you permission to drive my desires to the destination you would have me go, both geographically and also just how I spend my life. The other question is, are we obedient right now where we are? This sermon is not a message to like all of us go buy plane tickets tomorrow and be a missionary. This is not the, the get beat up by a missionary Sunday. It's not that at all. Have you been beat up by one before? I've seen angry missionaries. I hope not to be one this morning. But I hope to say, one, where does God want you? I assume he wants you here because this is where you are. And how do we walk out obedience and love and joy in God's mission to the nations right here, right now? Well, let's get to Psalm 67. Let's flip over there. I think I stressed out who read scripture this morning because she read Psalm 67, and I didn't get there for a long time. But here we are. And here's the main point from this part. There was and always will be a missional purpose to God's blessing. So think about God's blessing, all that he does for us and in us. There's a missional purpose for God's blessing. Let's look at Psalm 67 here. The first verse of that I love. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Really three requests there, right? So when you come into the presence of God, I would advise you not to do the following. God, give me what I deserve. 
Anybody want to go into God's presence and say that? You'd be a fool. I would be a fool. God, give me my wages. Like I get paid on the 15th and the last day of the month, and I usually check my account and make sure that something's hit and that Cedarville hasn't goofed something up. You probably do the same for whenever you're paid. Like, and I'd probably demand my wages like if they didn't pay me for a while. Well, you don't demand wages from God because the wages of sin is, is death. We don't demand that. So when we come here, what is the first thing that says, may God be gracious to us? When we enter the presence of God, it's normal to be on our face and to be crying out, God, be merciful to me. Don't give me what I deserve, but give me what I don't deserve. It's a beautiful prayer. Without the grace of God and the kindness of God and the forgiveness of God, we could not be in his presence. So the next thing he says, and bless us. Recognizing that every good thing that there is, anything that we have that's a blessing has come from the hand of God, from his kindness. You own it all. You have it all. God, would you give us of that? It's a good, good prayer. It's a normal prayer. We're your children. God, would you give us what we need for survival and for life's enjoyment? The third one is a beautiful one. Make his face to shine upon us. It's literally like, God, would you smile at us? Maybe it's the, the mom who holds her child for the first time and looks into the face of that baby. You just picture that face in your mind of that mama. Two weeks ago when I did a wedding for some Cedarville students and I saw the bride and groom right in front of me as I was reading the vows for them to repeat and saw them look into each other's faces. A beautiful thing. A scene that I've done a lot is we have been in many airports around the world is to look at the face of parents or kids as they see daddy getting off the plane. I've cried a lot of times with family. I'm kind of tenderhearted like that sometimes. Um, when you see that reunite, I don't even know who they are, but just to look at that beautiful moment or when we had served several years overseas without coming home for maybe three years and to see my mama pick up one of our kids who are a little smaller at that time. What a beautiful thing. Now to think that God would smile at you, that he would smile at me. I'll be honest, if you knew everything I've done in my life, you would probably maybe just walk out right now. And if we knew everything about your life, you probably wouldn't be too happy either. So that God knows everything that we've ever done. And he smiles on you. That's good news, isn't it? That like he delights in you. It's almost too good to be true. I struggle with that. Does anybody else? And we know it's not because of us. We're inviting him, God, smile on us because he looks at us through the cross. The beautiful cross, the ugly cross, both of those things are true as the wrath of God is poured out on the Son. And he looks at us through what Christ did and he smiles at you. Now, you would probably love it, and I would kind of love it too, if we just stopped the sermon right here and said, Great, God, just bless us and keep us and smile on us and like give us all this stuff. Because there's something in us as humans and Americans in particular that says, I just want to enjoy. I want to retire early. I want to be comfortable. I want to have security and peace. And I don't want to mess with all the brokenness in this world. And I just want to do whatever I want to do. It doesn't stop there. We better get back to the text. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 67. A little word that gives us a purpose. There's a reason that God has given you grace. There's a reason that God has blessed you and continues to bless you. There's a reason that he smiles on you. Listen to all that he says about the nations and listen to what God wants. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Do you also see that it's, um, sorry to be nerdy, but first person plural, it's us, it's not me. You're not just praying for yourself, but it's a corporate prayer. God bless all of us. Why? That your way may be known on earth. 
your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. As you look through this verse, you may ask the question, what does God want? Would you look with me? Verse 2, God wants to be known. In order for him to be known, the message of what he has done and who he is, it has to be proclaimed. Do you see the centrality of the message of missions and what God has done? He wants to be known. Look at verse 3. He wants the peoples to praise him. It's the right response. In order for people to praise him, they need to see him, that they would see the pearl of great price, the one who alone is worthy, that they would understand who he is, what he's done. The right response is what we've done here today. We have prayed and we have bowed and we have sung and we have lifted our voices together and we're sitting together under the teaching of God's word. Why? Because he's worthy of praise. That's what God wants. God wants you to worship him. He wants the nations to worship him. Verse 4, he wants to be enjoyed. When others look at us, whether near or far, they should see there is joy in Christ. There's brokenness, there's heartache, there's sadness, there's hardship. But in those things and through those things and on the other side of things and before those things, there is a joy that can only come from Christ. And the last thing, he, he wants to be feared. As we look at blessings, um, maybe an example would help. As you think about a, maybe a college student who gets a key on their birthday or maybe Christmas. And it's a key to a vehicle. And they get so excited and mom and dad are excited and grandparents are excited. And it goes on Instagram and friends are excited. Everybody in the situation, including you, knows they're not really excited about the key. Right? The key is a blessing, but the key is a means to the car, hopefully that's in the driveway. Now, I would probably do a dad prank and just give him the key and see what happens. But that would be mean-spirited, wouldn't it? I wouldn't really do that. That key, here's what I'm talking about is that's the blessing. The blessing in and of itself is not the end. It's a means to something else for God to use us. And what God intended through the whole Old Testament for Abraham and for his family, and maybe you've thought, like, what's the whole Old Testament about? Is it just about the law and, like, Israel? And that didn't work out, so we kind of got the New Testament as a do-over, so the Old Testament's not important? Not at all. God intended... Israel to be a light to the nations. God chose Abraham and his family for a missional purpose. God chose you and our church and all believers around the world. Why did he save us? Not so we could escape, not so we could kind of rally outside of the world and get away from a lot of brokenness and mess that's out there, but actually so that he could then commission us as agents so that he could send us out as ambassadors and representatives into the world. Look at it in Isaiah 42. Turn over there with me. So we saw creation, and we saw how Babel was a rebellion against that, and we saw how God chose Abraham. We saw the missional purpose in God's blessing. And here in Isaiah 42, look at what it says for the nation of Israel itself as there to be a light. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the end, to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I'm the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. 
I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, and there's that next phrase, maybe mark it in your Bible, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the darkness those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. There's the glory hammer again, did you duck? My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to my carved idols. Look at 49.6, Isaiah 49.6. Similar idea, but he's expressing to Israel, it's not enough that you be saved alone. It was never God's intention for just an exclusive group. 49 verse 6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Israel failed to be that light overall. When Jesus came, do you remember what he said? I am the light of the world. What Israel was intended to be, Jesus fulfilled that and so many other things in perfection. He was the light that was to be taken to the nations. As you think about this, a couple things I want you to remember. Missions begins with the nature and character of God. It begins with God himself. It's not something he thought up later as some kind of response to sin. It was always part of God's intention that his glory fill the earth. That mission has not changed. Our participation in that mission is maybe a new or different thing in our time now. God is really the missionary. God sees. He sees the brokenness of our world. He sees the people that you work with, the loved ones, maybe even children that you're hoping. He he sees those in places around the world right now that don't have access to the gospel. He sees. So God sends. The word mission really means sending. And before he sends Israel and before he sends the church and you, he sends himself. He sent his own son to die. He sends the Holy Spirit. He sends the church. And now we are part of God's mission in the world that people might know him and worship him. So he saves us, but then he enlists us. Don't a lot of Christians have the idea, and maybe some of us did at different points in our life, that like he saves us, and aren't we glad we're safe? Like we get to sit in the dugout, or we get to be over there on the sideline on the bench, and we're kind of at a safe place. But he, he doesn't save you and enlist you, but actually he, he puts you onto the field in the action. He sends you out, he equips you, he empowers you, and he invites you, not just in international settings, but right here through the local church to make his name and fame. So as we think about this section, let me ask you this question. How do I, how do you, how do we view our material and spiritual blessings? Maybe you'd go back and spend some time in Psalm 67 this week and think about, and this was convicting for me. I hated wrestling with this this week. I've wrestled with it a lot more than you have in Psalm 67. If God answered all my personal prayers for blessing, financially, health-wise, would that actually lead to my greater faithfulness in God's mission? If the purpose of God's blessing is to participate and to make his name known and make his name great, if God answered every single one of your prayers and my prayers, would that lead to greater faithfulness and involvement in his mission? Or would it just lead to more comfort and you being more comfortable sitting on the sideline? I'm pointing the finger first at me. 
And then I'll encourage you to some self-evaluation as well. That's not a comfortable place to sit, is it? Anybody else there with me, or am I standing here alone in the spotlight? Shake some heads at me, maybe? How do I pray for blessing and health and protection? Why am I asking for blessing? And what have I done with the blessings he has given? Let's look at these last couple of scriptures here, and let's get into the New Testament for just a minute. We don't have much time, so turn quickly to Acts chapter 2. So we saw God's plan in creation. We saw the rebellion against that at Babel. We saw God choosing a people and a nation with a purpose for missions. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see God giving the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the nations together. Here in Acts chapter 2, Jesus died, he rose again, he appeared to his disciples, he ascended back to heaven, he told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. What was the purpose of sending the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but in Acts 1.8, God sent his Holy Spirit to empower them for witness to the nations. Why does the Holy Spirit live in you? Lots of things the Holy Spirit does. One of them is which to empower you for witness to the nations. Look at what happens that's really a reversal in some ways of Babel. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to read quickly here, Acts 2, 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. I'm in Acts 2, 6 now. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Peter goes on to complete this message on the day of Pentecost and look down at verse 36 now as we see the response. Acts 2 36 let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do? Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit-filled preaching of the gospel of Jesus, men and women are drawn to receive the gift of eternal life. Central to missions is, one, God is on mission. Number two, the Holy Spirit of God is leading men and women to share that message of salvation with others. And as the message of Jesus is preached on this day and up until our day, and yes, this very day, the Holy Spirit of God is drawing people. God is working. God is moving. God is fulfilling what he said he would do. And what was his intention from creation? All the nations knowing and glorifying God. What did God do at the day of Pentecost? Is he drew at least a representative community from the whole world. Surely it wasn't every nation, but many, many nations. And it was a miracle of the Holy Spirit that allowed these men to speak in their native tongue from Galilee, and everyone else heard them in their own tongue through the power of the Holy Spirit, letting it be known that the gospel was for all of them. And they responded. And as you study the book of Acts as you go, 
the church was formed here in the book of Acts at the end of Acts chapter 2, I believe it's the first church. And churches, planting churches and missionaries being sent out by churches was the norm even until our day today. So the gospel message was preached. The sending of the church to proclaim the gospel and start churches is central to the task of missions. Many good things we can do. People around the world need eyeglasses. Without my eyeglasses, I could not read what's right in front of me today. It's a good thing to do. People around the world need health care and lots of other things. The, the, the biggest thing out of all the needs, and we don't diminish those needs, and we try to help those needs, the biggest thing that people need, the biggest problem they have is they are sinners separated from God. And the central part of our mission as God's people is to proclaim who Christ is, that he's king, and invite people to bow and to submit to that. It's the kindest thing you could do, whether it's your neighbor, your own child, your own parents, your neighbors, anyone around us and around the world, is to let those people who don't know, know of Christ so that they can submit and worship him. The nations were always in view. And the very last passage I'm going to read is this beautiful picture around the throne. Would you turn over there one more time? Thanks for your patience with me. Revelation chapter 7. This is the worship around the throne of some from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we get a little glimpse into heaven here and what will happen in the end that we see the intention and plan of God, the mission of God will be fulfilled. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the, the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So as we think about missions, what's our motivation? Our motivation is not primarily the people who need the gospel. It is a motivation. It's a good motivation. It's not the primary motivation. Our primary motivation is the glory of God himself, that he would be worshipped and that he wouldn't be known. He alone is worthy. What's our aim? So if the motivation of our heart is worship, what's the aim? Like, what are we after? What's the goal? The goal is that those who don't know Christ might know him and worship him. How's that going to happen? Churches who are worshipers sending out those with the gospel here, regionally, and around the world so that people might hear and respond. Would you, and I'm not asking you to bow your head yet, we've got two minutes. Would you pray for that on a regular basis? Would you look at your life and your family and our church and all that we are and all that we have is an opportunity to make Christ known? Did you think about your blessings? Did you look at your next paycheck? Did you work out your next family budget over the next month? As you look at priorities that are there, would you look and think, God, would you bless us? And would you bless us so that we could use these blessings, not only financially, but with our lives and with our kids and our grandkids and our plans and our vacations and our travel and all that we are and all that we have until the day that you would call us home or that Christ would come again. We want to use that for your glory. That's the church we want to be as we join God in what he's doing on his mission. Would you pray with me?